Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Derek Witzke. In today's episode, I get to sit down with UK strength and conditioning coach, Phil Lerney, who's taken more than 20 years on the floor experience and converted it into an educational platform called the Advanced Coaching Academy. We talk about motivation for getting started, what it really takes to see long-term success, and how the industry has benefited and failed at the hands of social media. All right, Phil, it's good to hear from you. Thank you very much for being on the Ecobolic podcast today. It's been a long time since we had a chance to sit down and talk strength and conditioning and everything in between. It has indeed, and thank you for having me on, Derek. Yeah, I appreciate it. The last time that you and I got to sit down and really hash out the industry was actually over sushi in London after we'd been uh, at UP Mayfair. And a lot has changed since then for you in particular. Um the thing that I really want to start today off with before we get into some of the backstory is you retired in a sense from the personal training industry. And that's really interesting to me because it's an industry that not a lot retire from. So how did you go about building up a career, which you did, and we'll get into that, and then inevitably being able to retire from an industry that has a tendency to swallow people up? Uh it was, it was a funny thing. It was a because obviously announcing your retirement from something. I, I've got you know people around me who, who thought that was me done. You know, <laughs> I think they must have thought my career was far more exceptional than it, you know that it ever was, and 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 they kind of got the inkling that I was actually just going to sit back, put my feet up, and you know travel the world and do something like that. So right. so it was it's quite an experience to to announce retirement from a from an industry that you're actually then actually going to stay in. So yeah. it was it, it was quite cool because. I knew I was still going to carry on giving to the industry what I really intended to in the first place, which was, you know, education, uh, which was to, you know, to help people and, and move people forward. And obviously, the the natural progression there for me was always, look, there's a point there where I can only deal with so many people. And right. for me, it's how am I going to help more people? So, you know, there's the obvious, obvious options where you do things like what we're doing today. You know, you do a podcast, you do a, you know, you you write a book, you you, you put out material on social media, whatever it might be. Uh, you have a mailing list, all those sort of things. And then I thought, well, what's the easiest way to reach more people or, or get, you know, quality information out to people so they can then go out and help others do what what I did for many years and really the, the main reason I got into the industry was to, you know, to, to help people and push people down the, the same kind of avenues I went down, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit of my history later. But it was I started training and got into this because of personal issues. Right. And it was something that, that you know, the, the gym became something very, very, very important to me and, and became very close to my heart in many respects because it was something where it was uh, it was salvation for me from a lot of other different things. So. You know, I took a lot from training and I took a lot from looking after my nutrition and I took a lot from changing my physical appearance as such. Right. So it was it was something where the natural progression was, you know, if I can manage and help coaches, obviously the, the repercussions of that are, you know, every single one of these coaches might be looking after 20, 30 people over the course of several months, over 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 decades there. They could be dealing with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. 
Right. And I thought, well, right. the easiest way to give back to these people was to was to start something which would ultimately result in these people delivering a better level of service, but at the same time being able to, to get over the the struggles that ultimately I went through in the PT industry. And and obviously you you know you what you mentioned before about the fact that a lot of people kind of get swallowed up by the industry because it's very hard to make money in the industry. And make a exactly, game. right? And and that's yeah. a really good point because and I think this is going to segue us a little bit into your history because a lot of people, in my experience, get into the personal training industry through, as you say, almost a, a personal salvation. There's a lot of former IT, graphic design, lawyer, you name it. The, the genre is quite large where people find physical culture and it becomes so important to them that a lot of them actually make a career change into the PT world. And they go from being client to coach, never fully anticipating that it is quite a grueling career choice for a lot of people to make a living at. Yeah, and it's, it's, it, it's something which I try, and get, I try and get the reality out to people and I try and explain to people about, you know, this is the reality of being a personal trainer and it's, you know, it's early mornings, it's late evenings, it's horrendous kind of working hours to begin with. And if you want to learn your craft and learn your trade, you're going to have to put those hours in. And unfortunately, that's just part and parcel of it. And, you know, I've had, I've had roles in this industry which, which were horrendous. Right. You know, where, where my responsibilities were just things that I'd never dream I'd, I'd, I'd be doing at some point in my life. But they were just part and parcel of what we did. And, you know, you started as your fitness instructor and you give out towels and, you know, we, we used to have to clean the changing rooms every night and you had to do all this really kind of monotonous, boring stuff in order to, again, learn your craft, to to acquire people and, uh, you know, people who wanted your services and be able to learn something from them. Right. And it is the craft. Like, you talk very much in regards to the personal training industry, the way that I often reflect back on how I got into coaching, when I made the transition into professional coaching at the NCAA level and eventually the NFL level, the process is very much the same. It's wiping down benches, mopping up floors, spending way more hours than you probably need to be there. And it's all a part of the process of incorporating yourself into an industry to maximize the amount of exposure you get to information, which hopefully then becomes knowledge. And for a lot of people, they don't realize that that's sort of what it takes to master the craft. And I think it's, you know, I don't know whether it's actually formally arranged that way, but, you know, I think it's just this thing where you, you know, it's like going in the military, you know, making your bed and, and, and doing things that you think, well, what relevance has that got to do with going to war or, you know, right. or warfare or, you know, what's it got to do with that? And, and, and I think it's just that kind of element of it. And again, it's a horrendous comparison, but you know what I mean? It's accurate it's, enough, it's, though. Yeah. But it, it, in coaching fields, I think there is that thing of, you know, at some point you're going to be making, you know, you know, pre-workout drinks for, for a bunch of people that you're coaching or, or you're yep. going to be cleaning up after them or picking up after them or whatever it might be. And and I think that's part and parcel of it. And, and I think that it, it gives you that sense of pride over what you're doing because it isn't just about, and I always say to people about, you know, the, the gym scenario where, 
you know, the gym's your work workplace. It's it's somewhere that you've got to take huge pride on. And and ultimately, you know, if you've got a nice, clean, sparkling gym that isn't irritating people when they come in because it's messy or there's dumbbells all over the place. And and I always when I see a coach go and pick dumbbells up when that really isn't part of their role. That isn't part of their role, but that's part of the pride that they have in the workplace and right. and that's important to them. And uh, just like, you, you know, I'm sure it's something where you've got this compulsion where probably when you're around those areas, you probably go back to these things that you, you used to do, that you used to hate doing. Right. But you just do them because you have, you have this great pride in what you do and what you deliver. And all of that is part of it. You know, your working environment, the people around you, how people look at the environment that you're in. You know, is it a respectful environment? Is it something where... You know, uh, you know, the janitor is going to get treated exactly the same as the CEO. And it's that kind of that scenario where there's that mutual respect and something from, you know, sports and sports performance and, and, and athletic performance. Something I drew from that was that overlying respect element of it, where it right. was this, you know, particularly through in teams. If you played in a team sport, it was like if there wasn't that overlying respect across everything, it just didn't work. Right. It, the system tends to break down. And, you know, there's an interesting quote. It's like how a man does one thing is how he does everything. And there's a lot of truth to that, to the physical culture side. And you see it in, in those that take the additional respect and time and care in making sure that the environment in which they're trying to propagate success in, be in the weight room or the field or what have you, it's the amount of time they take to make sure that that environment matches the level of excellence that they're trying to achieve. And those that don't have that same desire to match the level of excellence, you tend to see them fade away or fade out of the industry almost in defeat eventually because they never ever had the passion perhaps is the word, but it's almost the desire to to really maximize the experience in the beginning. And there's kind of an ethic there, isn't there? There's a, there's a, a work ethic that gets built. I mean, it, it, you know, I look at anybody in business who's successful, the, the all, there's an overlying aspect, which is organization. You know, right. everything, everything we do is, you know, you look at athletic training programs, it's about organization. It's about, you know, your business. Business stuff is about organization. You know, having a having a, a gym that functions well and and you know managed well and, and operate well, it's all about organisation, and and it's it's not just the organisation as in putting things in a line as we would know it, but right. it's also about the organisation, the people that are in t you know integrated into that environment and come together to form this this outcome, right. which is right. you know, and and again, I, I hear a lot in American sports where where they refer to. You know, American football franchises is either franchises or, or organizations because that's what they are. They're this big pot of different people who do different things that keep that ship afloat as such. Right. That, and that's precisely it. Like um, I was speaking with Jeff Nichols this morning and, and Jeff and I both were talking about this quite intensely. And it was the difference between establishing a working culture and establishing just a basic corporation of things and the culture aspect is what's key it's when you take those organized parts and it allows for diversity it allows for individual creativity it allows for strengths of certain aspects of the business to be 
almost an individually owned thing. But because you create such a unified and cohesive culture, they all start to come together to create this this product or this organization that begins to grow and grow and have success. Um, you know, like with the Super Bowl, which yeah. just recently happened, those are the pinnacle of unified culture and organized culture. Um, and, and I see that a lot in the, in the personal training and, and gym industry where we get a lot of individuals that in, and I know this is going to be a bit of a rabbit hole for you and I, but we've been around long enough that we remember what it was like prior to the accelerated state of social media. So we were around when you had to sort of put in time and be a part of the culture and grow amongst it. And, and yourself, especially you, you ran the gauntlet from the physique side and composition side, but you also have a huge background in the power sport side and, and being in those two realms of the industry, you are in that culture. You're a part of that process. And a lot of people aren't being exposed to that at all right now. They're trying to get to the end point before the start point even began. And and it, and it is that, it's that, that word culture. I mean, we talk an awful lot about it when, when we do the business stuff. We talk a lot about company culture and the importance of it. You talk to any of the, you know, the, uh, the 500 companies, you, you, took, you look at the Fortune 500 and, and every single one of them has this overreaching culture behind its business. And it's something they're trying to ingrain in people. And people who don't, necessarily uh, it's probably the word the wording is probably wrong but buying into it right if you're not buying into that culture they'll get rid of you because it just doesn't work and you can be the most talented it person you can be the most talented sports person you can be the most talented uh, whatever you do if you don't fit that culture ultimately you're going to break something and i always i always recall the you know the, the the kind of definitions that you have in business of these kind of people of the the vampires and the right. People that will, yeah, and, and and the people that will suck blood, and the, the, the zombies who just carry on and do their thing every single day, and and they don't really get involved, but they also don't cause any any disruption or anything like that. So, do you keep them around until you're, you know, you can replace them? You keep them doing their job, right. and and vampires, are these people that come along, and you know, and social media just exacerbates that because I think there's there's so many people there that just want to drain the life out of the industry and drain the life out of people yes. who are getting involved with it. And and there's no positivity to what they're doing. They're just going, right, I'm going to roll along. I'm going to do my thing. But but at the same time, I'm going to create nothing with respect to an overlying culture as to what I actually stand for and what, what I'm trying to stand for within an industry where people are actually looking for this definition, right? Absolutely. And not only are people looking for a definition, but – you know, we're getting people coming through the door. Um, you know, we're February now, but let's face it, we just went through peak personal training season, which is January, the first 40 days of a new year. And we're, and we have people coming through the door that somewhere in their psyche or somewhere within themselves, something has clicked and they are no longer tolerant of who they are as a human being on this planet. And people think that's like a very bold or dramatic way to describe it. But that's really what's happening is Mr. and Mrs. get up one day, they see themselves in the mirror or they have a conversation within themselves and they're like, I am not happy with who I am today. Either my fitness, my composition, my life, regardless. And those people are coming into these environments 
into these cultures, and they are about as vulnerable of a psychology as you could probably deal with in our, in our society today. And they are now falling into the hands of exactly as you describe somebody that is going to drain them of as much money and time as possible before they move on to their, in a sense, next victim. And, and, and that to me is a big concern within our industry right now. And, and this is, you know, I see this an awful lot where it's, you know, I always tell people, look, everybody's, everybody's had a bad experience with a PT. Right. You know, right. Anybody who's ever had coaching or personal training. I've had bad experiences with college coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Everybody's had a bad experience. And the problem is, is that they will, that is their last experience potentially. So when they walk in and they're expecting something different or something new or whatever it might be, and it might just be novelty. Right. They'll throw something out there, and coaches are, are playing on this, this this thing of novelty. If I do something different to everybody else, I'm going to stand out. Right. Instead of actually just doing what they should be doing better, they, they want to do something different. different. They want to do something unique, or, you know, I'm going to look at things different way. Or they latch themselves onto something that's already pre-existing, yep. that's maybe on trend at this particular moment. It might be a dietary system, it might be a training system, or whatever it might be, and they latch themselves onto it so tightly that they lose all all aspects of rational thought. And yes. Then, and then everything is just focused on that one thing, and they, they lose, there's no objective thinking, there's no, there's no thinking outside the box, there's just, this is the way, and this is the way I'm going to do it. And, and everybody else can just take a hike. Right. It, it's when you see these guys, as we say, drink the Kool-Aid and, and they no longer are a part of a, of a critical thinking society or section of our industry. They become very much robotic in their belief systems and they only want to do one thing and they only want to train one way or they only want to listen to one guru. And the, the real, the real negative of that long term is even if that guru, that system, that ideology has some positives to it, the problem with our industry and with human performance as a whole is it is always going to be, because it always has been, a continuum-based system. So we have beginning and ends, injuries and non-injuries, prehabs, rehabs, performance and peaks, nutritional, it's all continuum. And when you only take a small segment of that continuum and make that your your sole focus, eventually you're going to paint yourself into a corner. And if you've been very public about this opinion, like we know people in the industry over the last 10 years have painted themselves into corners, now have to, to change their philosophies to continue to make money, they immediately become hypocrites. Yeah. And they, they, but again, there, there is that level of empathy, which I, I see from my end. And because I, I'm dealing right now with so many new coaches, coaches who are brand new in the industry, young kids who, you know, disturbingly, yep. whenever we whenever we, we ask them about when they were born and things like this, <laughs> yeah. it always emphasize to me about actually how old I am and how long I've been in the industry. But yeah. it's this thing of, I get it in some respects. Because right. they're, they're, they're striving for an identity and they're, and they're like, right, hold on. There is already this identity behind the system. There's already right. this behind this. So rather than actually trying to carve out something that really is a bit nondescript, Yep. It's kind of like this, you know, that eternal answer that we give is depends. Depends. You know, when somebody wants this definitive answer to something, all these coaches out there, they want to give them something. And, right. and they're terrified to turn around to these people and go, well, 
it actually depends. You know, there's a huge amount of factors we've got to take into consideration. Absolutely. And that doesn't really sell anything. No, it doesn't. And that you're 100% correct. There is a, there is a very, very small window for the, for the industry of truth when it comes to personal training and even coaching at the highest level in the United States. If you come forward, okay, hypothetically speaking, if I sit down in an interview at the University of Florida at their football program and a, and the head coach and, and the rest of the staff are sitting there and they're like, okay, we, we want to get to a, a bowl game this year, a national championship. What do we need to do? And, and they lay it out June, July, and August. If you say as a coach, well, it depends, you're not getting the job. And the worst part is, is it really does depend. It depends on a million factors. It depends on the progression of the team, the age of the athletes, the number of injuries, the injuries that they sustain in practice. It is 100% an arbitrary question, but you can't give an arbitrary answer. So you have a tendency to just jump on board with the jargon that has already been spoken by a million other coaches. And again, this is an establishment looking, it, it's much like uh, someone, you know, seeking that answer. They'll go and sit down with 10 personal trainers and until they hear the answer they want to hear, yeah, they won't take them on. They're like, right, I want that person to answer the way I want the answer to be. And irrespective of whether it's absolute nonsense, they want that answer. They want somebody to tell them, yes, you can get in this shape in 12 weeks. <laughs> yes. Stand on the dotted line, here we go. Instead of somebody saying, well, Reality is, given everything that you've laid out to me and, and asked asked me for and told me what you want and how your lifestyle is and things like this, realistically, that isn't going to happen. No, that that's so true. It, it, so we've got this extended timeline, right? And this is the the challenge you'll have with athletes, right? Because you've got you've got the management and the people above them turning around to you and saying, "Look, I've got this athlete. I've got twelve weeks." Not even that probably in your fields. What have you got? Three, four weeks maybe where you've got to knuckle down, get something done, and they're saying, I want my athlete faster. I want them bigger. I want them more powerful. And I want them leaner. Yes. And you're, you know, and uh, okay, so which one of those is actually going to give us the most bang for my book? And that's the one I'll focus on. <laughs> and that's, and it's the only one that you really have time to focus on. And, correct. And you make a really good point, especially in the personal training side. That when that person comes in looking for a coach, they're going to quite often be looking for the coach based on what other people have told them, what they've seen on television or what they've seen on social media. And and that is a really legitimate and and quite real fact of the matter is if you are the smartest guy in the room and you are the depends type of person that is out there trying to change the industry – you may not be picking up a lot of clients if you don't have some, for lack of a better word, association with some of the more popular trends in the industry. And it's almost like you have to sell yourself based on a bit of a fabrication so that you can get them into your system and actually show them how to be successful. Yeah, it's like, there's, you know, you have a look online now, there's probably 30, 40 coaches, probably even more than that who are claiming to be the best personal trainer in London right now. Right. You know, according to their profiles. 
but that's you know it, it, it's a selling point whatever it might be and whoever's told them this you know their mum's maybe told them one night that you're the best personal trainer in London so they thought right I'll stick that quote on my website maybe I'll get some traffic from it yep and maybe I'll get somebody that but but it's about selling the dream you know I could sell the dream and I could give people the dream and and I, I could monetize it very very easily because that's that's what the internet's about it's about yep. really you know if you want to monetize the internet sell people the dream. And hopefully at the end of it, the dream is there. Yes. And if it isn't, nobody really gives a crap because they're going to move on to the next person that's promising it after you. Yeah, and it's just a very short, it's a very short-sighted view for coaches, right? Yes, very, very much. Which really brings us back full circle to the fact that you've been coaching for so long that you actually retired from the day-to-day demands of the personal training industry to move into what we'll talk about in a moment. But if we go back to when you started as a personal trainer and when you got really sort of convinced that the iron was going to be a part of your existence, what was the initial draw for you to make it not only something that you loved, but something that eventually you would put enough energy into to change the next generation of coaches? Well, I, I, I started because I started weight training when I was about 13, 14, mm-hmm. because I was a big old weight kid at school. I used to get a lot of stick for it. It was, you know, it was just unpleasant. It was it was a horrendous experience. School was tough because of it. And at the end of the day, if I could roll that out and say, right, if I removed that one physical attribute about me, life would have probably been so much better. Right. So when I was, you know, when I was 13, 14, I'd gone to secondary school. I had opportunity to, to, I had a friend in the village that we lived in and he would, he would drive home about an hour and a half after we finished school. So I said to him, and I used to do Saturday jobs. It was at a sports shop and I used to do Saturday jobs at this sports shop. And I said to him, would you mind if I came home with you during the week? And he was like, no, not a problem, whatever. So I used to get a lift with him about an hour and a half after school had finished. And I used to leave school. I'd sneak off on my own. And I go to the gym. Right. And that's what I did. And I did that from the age of 13, 14, all the way up to when I left school. And then I continued it after that point. So when it came to deciding what I wanted to do as a career, I was I wanted to be a graphic designer. Right. You know, I wanted to be in design of some some shape or form. And I went and did some work experience. It sucked. I hated it. It was, you know, I got stuck on a computer and and again showed my age a little bit here. But I'd learned all the you know, to pick up a pen and to draw these things and design them out and sketch them out and do all this. And then they stuck me on this Mac, which Mac were the big, you probably remember them, the yes. big, big fat things with the day glow colors on the back of them. Yeah, and, yeah. and it, it stuck me on one of these and I had no idea how to use a computer, never mind a Mac. Right. And it was just horrendous. And I thought, right, what else am I good at? And despite my, you know, my weight, et cetera, et cetera, I was big into sport. I was actually quite good at, you know, various sports. And I thought, well, what's the other field that I'm decent in? So I decided, right, I'm going to go down that route. I don't know where that route's going to take me, but I'm going to go down that route. So I did my fitness instructor qualification, got a job locally, and basically turned around to them and said, look, I want to do personal training. They said, we don't offer it. You know, the town that I was in, they didn't offer personal training. They hadn't even heard of the term. Right. You know, so, so it was, you know, it's that long ago. And they said, well, we're worried about you not making enough money and not being enough clients. And, and you know, I'd kind of got a feel for the, the gym and the people in it, and everybody was asking me for it. Right. So I was like, well, I'm prepared to take this risk. And to be fair, if you don't let me do it, I'm going to leave anyways. Right. So they let me do it. 
within weeks, I was jam-packed full. You know, they had to actually drop my regular hours down so I could actually deal with the level of clients that I actually had. Right. And and it all started there. And and that all came from a, a something which was very, very much life-changing for me, which was me changing something, which now I look back at and go, it's such a – it's just a messed-up thing that your physical appearance is something that defines how people treat you, right. you know, how – or look at you, and it is, it's messed up in many respects, but... But it's very real. I, yeah, but can I change that? I can't change that, you know, and I can't change the way that people feel about themselves, uh, and, and you can't do that. But then the reality was I could. Right. I could, I could tell these people that woke up in the morning, looked in the mirror, and thought, I hate that. Yep. And they start this day off every single day in the same fashion. They look at themselves, they don't enjoy the way they look, they don't like the way they look. We're not talking about people getting shredded, ripped, or whatever. It, no. It's just... You just want to look and feel a bit better. They don't want yep. to feel nervous about going on holiday. They don't want to. And, you know, back then it wasn't the magnitude that it is now. And and now it's everybody needs to look great. And everybody's expected to be, you know, this this image of physical perfection. Right. And I, you know, we've talked about this years ago. You know, we, we, I remember sitting down and having a discussion about, you know, really both of us in many respects where we were like, look, we just want to get leaner, really, you know, yep. because for us it was always performance, and you know, you were you you were into a very similar style of training to what I was, and it was sort of a secondary thing yep. where you know I started out because of an aesthetic improvement that I wanted to, and then I got there and I was like, I'm actually I'm actually pretty good at this, and I'm actually pretty strong, and I thought, right, you know, I could move this across to the sports that I was playing and make me better at the sports as well, which was another thing that I actually enjoyed. Right. And the problem was at that stage is that when I was a kid and I was overweight and you know, there's very little I took enjoyment out of. You know, a sport was one of them. Yep. And the problem with sport is that my knees were all bashed up because I was overweight, blah, blah, blah. And as much as I enjoyed sport, it was painful. And it was, and the, the, the largest factor in that was the fact that I was overweight. And then I looked at everything else I enjoyed. And what was the other thing I enjoyed? It was food, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, and I'm still to this day, I love food. I'm a massive food fan. And, and I appreciate the fact that people are out there and they want to eat nice food. They yep. want to eat stuff that's tasty. They want to go out a couple of drinks at the weekend with their friends. And they want to go. And people aren't in this perfect reality that our industry seems to paint where they think that everybody wants to be ripped. Everybody has this hierarchy in which they put nutrition and they put training right at the top of it. Yep. And unfortunately, a lot of the, the coaches that we see in this industry are, you know, the, the, between the age of 18 and probably about 24, 25, they don't have any responsibilities outside of going to the gym, feeding themselves. You know, they maybe have a job. Yeah, most of them are probably striving to get a job in the industry, or they're striving for you know a sponsorship deal from somebody. Right, right. They go and sell us all for thirty pounds worth of protein a week. Yep, and and it's just this really sort of messed up scenario. So again, going back on the point was you know I got into this industry to help people, and the first person I helped was myself. Right. You know, I just wanted them to continue to do that is take people who were in real predicaments from a physical perspective, from a psychological perspective, whatever it was, and go, right, what can I do to help you? And that's a, a, a massive point. Going back to what you said, like in regards to helping yourself so you can help others. And what a people see, and a lot of people get really hung up on this because they think that the moment that you start to look at the external of self for the sake of self-fulfillment or self-embetterment, that somehow ego must always be involved. And I always 
like to take those people and reset them a little bit because even myself included, I've never like when I've been really big or uh, for lack of a better word, out of shape in terms of aesthetic looks, but I was very strong, very powerful. None of that really translates to everyday culture. And so when people say that I want to look better and people are like, oh, you know, you're a nice person or you got a great personality. Sometimes I like to intervene and be like, no, no, you got to hear them out because what you have to understand is the image that we're presenting to the world. If that is an image in which you're not a hundred percent comfortable with, or it's an image that maybe, you know, and some people, as you know, have dealt with this, they literally hate hate the way they look. They feel the same sense of of stomach-churning discomfort about the vision in the mirror when no one is around that, you know, you would feel towards an atrocity in the world. And what people have to understand is when somebody is dealing with that type of psychological manifestation towards themselves, just like somebody would go and seek out maybe professional help to deal with emotional or psychological um, thoughts or visions or, or this and that to try to get them sorted because they're confused. The gym can be that for the person that has the need to sort out the same issue with their actual physical existence. And I'm not saying get on the stage and be a fitness model or be a bodybuilder. But just take the guy, and everyone assumes we're talking about fat people because, you know, that's that's society's mindset. But we both know that's not the case. We know the guy that comes into the gym that literally is 120 pounds at six feet tall and is just simply too small and too weak to feel confident in his own skin. You put 15 pounds of muscle on this guy over the next couple of years, you're going to dramatically change how he interacts with the universe. Yeah, and, and, and this is, you know, this is a huge element of it to me. It's, you know, it's the fact that people are displeased with the way, and, and you know, I have this conversation with people around me where, you know, if, if I let them into my head at times, they'd be like, you're an idiot. You look great. You're, right, you know, right. And I'm like, but it's not about what you say and it's not about what you think. It's about what I feel and what I think. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, it's like when you have a, you have five days off the gym or whatever it might be and, and you start to feel a little bit slobbish and a little bit out of shape. And you know full well it's in the back of your mind, but it's it, it's the reality. And yep. the reality is you, you feel out of shape despite being in great shape. And I always remember when – you know, when I used to do photo shoots and things like this, so, you know, I'd get in shape and I'd do this photo shoot at the end of it. And I can never, ever remember being in that shape when I get the photos through. No like, kidding. I ever looking like that. I can't remember looking in the mirror and going, I saw what was in those pictures. I don't recall that for one second. And and I know, and, and you've, you've maybe read some of my stuff where I, where I talk about this quite openly, in that yep. I, I will never, ever be happy with the way I look physically. Right. And accept that. Yep. Uh, but I, what I don't accept is that when I let it slide and when I am fully responsible for how I feel about that, yep. because that's when I let my diet slide, when I don't turn up at the gym and I don't work hard and I don't do any of that, that actually ruins me more than probably the physical actually uh, the physical shape actually does. Right, it's, right. It, it, it's how do I feel about training? How do I feel? I just feel so much better. Yep. And I might look at myself maybe i'm kidding myself i don't know 
And it's kind of like that matrix scenario. Is, sure. is, it, <laughs> is it real what I'm looking at? Right. Is this actually genuinely what I look like? Or is it just what my, you know, my head's manifesting in front of me and telling me I look like this? See that? And to me, it doesn't matter, right? Right. And that's an excellent question excellent point because I find with myself in particular, I'll go through phases where I'm not happy with the way I look because I'm either too heavy or I I remember what I look like when I was in peak uh, competitive form when I was an athlete. You know, that was 15, 16 years ago, right? So it's like, I don't feel 41 years old, but some days I have to remind myself that well, you're 41, right? You're not 27 year old training full time for a living. But at the same time, I still can't accept that. So it keeps, it keeps pushing me and keeps motivating me. And what I have a tendency to find is that even when I'm not focused on the external presence of myself, if I lose my, my routine of training and, and my rebalancing that the weight room has always provided since I was, like you say, 14 years old, um, that's what really throws me off. So it's like I can get everything else into perspective, but if I lose the the expression of strength and conditioning or the expression of exercise in my life, everything just completely falls apart. And And I think that that's probably the biggest reason why I won't ever probably step away from this industry in one facet or another. It's just too much of who I am as a person, I believe. Yeah, and and the same. It's you know I see the gym as part of you know that that's part of my life. It's part of something that I'll always do. It's part of something that yeah I'll have a love hate relationship with to some degree. You know, yeah, and there'll, be, yeah. there'll be days where I beat myself up because you know in I want to go, but also I'm you know I'm, I'm I'm physically ruined and 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 I can't go. Then there'll be other times where you know I'm, I'm physically ruined and all I want to do is step in the step in the gym and it's and it it is this torment, but it it's something where when I've got control over it and this is kind of you know drawing in the point we talked about before, which was organisation, is that for me it's it, it's something that's an integral part of my organisation. Right. Is that you know i get up and i and i do work and i do this that the other but at some point in that day i will have a gym session planned where i'm going to turn up i'm going to beat myself up which is again a bizarre concept yep and and you know i'm going to be sore days after for that and and the end goal is it that i'm going to look physically different maybe maybe not right uh, because it all depends ultimately on what i'm going to eat during that process right and 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 sometimes i'm you know we 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 had a birthday party the weekend and did i watch what i ate no i didn't did i have a couple of drinks yes i did and and you know do i feel bad about it yeah i feel a bit sluggish about it but ultimately as long as i'm back to it on monday and doing my thing i'm fine you know that's exactly it because it is the long term it's the lifestyle not the 12-week program right so you're going to have those fluctuations in life where you have to step away from the from the the role of of physical you know athlete or or physical pursuit in life and be like okay I need to to be a part of society. I need to be a part of this moment. I need to just let go a little bit. And do you find, having been in the game so long, that 
when you do have those moments where you step away from it and just allow yourself the freedom not to think about it, that it almost is the resets that you need to reestablish a reason to get back in the gym on that Monday morning? Yeah, to some degree, I guess. It, it, I think it's it's something that was such an integral part at certain points in my life, whereas now it, it, it slipped it slipped down that hierarchy that I probably had many years ago. And right. sometimes I'll look back and, and I think much like anything in your life, you know, you probably reminisce in the days where, you know, you were deadlifting more or you were, you know, you were, you were out competing against people and, and, right. and you have points where you sort of reminisce on, on what was. And, you know, I look at videos of me, me lifting a few years ago and I might feel weak as hell right now compared to what I was then. Absolutely. Uh, and, and everything just seems a chore. And I'm like, well, do I just drop it and just don't bother at all? Or, or do I just keep pursuing it and, and be fully aware of the fact that unless I'm prepared to sacrifice this, 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 I'm probably never going to get back to that point. And that isn't a defeatist thing. No, it's that's a reality. A, that's reality, right? It's reality. And, that's, that's, and I know full well that if I push uh, training up that hierarchy again, there are going to be other elements in my life that are going to get sacrificed that I'm just not prepared right now in my life to sacrifice. Right. Uh, and ultimately, I get to deadlift that weight again, or I get to do this again. And I'm like, is it that important to me? You know, years ago, yes, it was. But now, is it that important? You know, or is my business life, is my family life, is all of that a little bit more, you know, integral to my life right now and that is a key point that i think a lot of people uh are losing track of and circling back to that social media side of it um i was talking to ryan fanley a couple days ago and he he was talking with you know powerlifting legend ed cone and ed cone made the statement that far too many uh powerlifters nowadays are getting injured or ending up uh, with injuries to come because everything is about being the absolute strongest right now, today, no governor, push, 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 no, uh, no days where you just train where it's submaximal weights. He said that in his training, he competed twice a year, um, basically ran four cycles of training a year. So there was a lot of sub, you know, sub PR lifts in there, a lot of 70, 80% lifts. And, what a lot of people fail to realize is is that's the balance of life, right? Like you have to keep things in the in their proper perspective. You have to realize that you can't always be the PR or personal best version of yourself. And if you try to do that, your career is going to be very very short, right? And not it's only real, right? It's it's not achievable. You're right. No, people people have a showreel. This is life, and, and I think social media is to blame largely for it. But also, in the same breath, I think social media, you know, and and I hear people beating on it all the time, and they're like, yep. said, if you use it for what it is, it's a it's an incredible tool. Yep. It's an incredible tool to get information to people. It's an incredible tool to stay in touch with people. It's an incredible tool for everything, motivation, whatever it might be. Yep. But in the same breath, it can do exactly the opposite. Yeah. And, and yeah. It all depends on how you perceive things you know the, the pictures you see of people people don't look that good that's the reality yep. people don't the 99 percent of the time they don't look anything like the picture <laughs> that they just put in front of you right 90 percent of the time they're not as strong as no. the, the video they just put up you know and, and and i'm guilty of it 
you know, I like to put my big lifts on there. That uh, it's... I put a video up of, of, of three or four years ago, me deadlifting, whatever it might be. People are like, oh, you're strong. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not right now. But you I know, was. But, yep. Yeah, but, but, a, but a, me deadlifting 140 kilos off the floor isn't impressive. Right, right. It's... You're 100% correct. Like, you've been a 300-kilo deadlifter, right? And when you look at that type of strength and you know that it, that that's who you were. And for our generation, it's weird because I think it's our generation, to be honest, that gets a little like a little fucking sideways about social media more than the younger generation. And it's not, not totally because we're anti social media. Like, obviously, I love to write on Instagram. You know, I'm doing podcasts with you right now, but. I also have this memory, this, you know, twisted memory of me at like 23 or 24 years old squatting 550 for 10 that no one will ever get to see. So it's like, it's sort of like, oh man, well, F social media, I used to do this. But you know full well, if I had a high def video of that show up on my desk today, it would be on the internet tonight. Totally. 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 But, I mean, you want people to go, look, yeah. this is me and this is what I did. And this is what really, in many respects, you know, it, it created me. This is this is who I am now. And this is, the evolution, this is the evolution of Derek Woodski. This was me when I was, you know, competing. This was me when I was coaching. This was me when I was lifting. This is me when I was a little bit out of shape. This is me yep. when I was a bit in shape. And this is this showreel that so many people are terrified to put the kind of crap stuff on there the stuff right. that just isn't, isn't really newsworthy and and sometimes that reality is great but again same sort of thing a, a, a deadlift video of me doing a 140 kilos or 108 <laughs> kilos boring yeah you know? it's boring it's just not it's not newsworthy so therefore yeah i'll throw up some stuff i used to do yep. occasionally but that's just a reminder, and, and for me, that is literally just a reminder to some of the people that that are following me and have, uh, you know, like my stuff and whatever it might be, and just a reminder to them that yeah, I used to be a powerlifter, right? Yeah, right. I used to play rugby. Yeah, I used to, and then all of a sudden, people start relating to you a little bit better because they're like, oh, so they did used to, you know, they they, they used yes. to do, or they used to be out of shape, or they used to struggle yep. like I did or they used it and I try and get that snapshot of reality across to people where people think that you know people in the fitness industry rolling around you know confident cocksure of themselves and you know super strong super athletic all the time having these great days every day they're killing it or whatever yep. you know whatever uh, saying they want to tag on to something and the reality is that isn't the case. No. You know, there are days where it absolutely sucks. I had two or three days. Bizarrely, last week, I was lecturing and writing, and all of it was about motivation, and it was all about pep talks, and it was all, you know, I had my mastermind group last week, and, yep. you know, it was all about getting these guys all revved up and getting them firing on all cylinders, and I was flat as a pancake. Right. And just couldn't get my head around it, you know, my training, my, my diet, and it was, you know, one of those things where you think, I just fancy just giving up, right? You know, and right. and and that's the reality. Is, yep. is that happened? Uh, and and it had a knock-on effect on so many other aspects of my life at the time, and and it just made two or three days of my week last week a real struggle, yep. an uphill struggle. And and everybody out there is thinking, oh, it's this wonderful, you know, you know, this this snapshot fills life that's going on, and no, it's a showreel, and sometimes yep. I throwing the bad stuff as well but bad stuff just isn't as much fun really no so. it, and it is and, and you realize 
because I've gone through it myself, like the way that you describe having those flat days while you stand in front of the crowd trying to impart as much positive motivational energy as possible. And a couple weeks ago, I I very much was going through the same thing. I was, you know, I was sitting on the fence with all these decisions and just not able to really get the gears of the machine moving forward. And it's like, it's almost like I had 17,000 ideas and each idea was, you know, uh, uh, a truck full of information and they were all trying to get through one tunnel and there was no way to get all that information or to get one truck to actually make the decision to go first. And so I had like this backlog of ideas and energy and motivation and because of it, everything stalled out. I had, I had no positivity. I had no drive. I wasn't excited. I wasn't any, it was like as flat as a pancake and and as much as I wanted to, I really wanted to actually sit down and, and do a blog post about it and write about the realities of it. But I, I just didn't because what I realized is everybody goes through that and everybody's dealing with it. And sometimes it's it's okay to to write something that helps people through it. But sometimes it's almost easier to pull back a little bit allow yourself to recharge, put out something really strong again, because if you put out how down and out you are, the one person that really needed to be picked up actually gets deeper and more down when they read that somebody they turn to for motivation doesn't have any motivation to give. And it's sort of a tough spot to be in because you want to be honest, but at the same time, you got to remember that your ultimate goal is to hopefully reach out to somebody that needs a hand up and you're the one that's going to give them the hand up. But it's a tough spot to be in because you feel like you want to vent a little bit. Or I know I did. And, it, and it's hard to be dishonest about it. It's hard to turn mm-hmm. around and go, you know, and those are the days where my social media will just go a little bit quiet. Yes, I won't be doing, exactly. Won't be video feed for, for sure. And, and, and it's this thing where, you know, there's so much energy that, that, that gets drained from you because yeah. of that, that kind of negativity. And it's, you know, and I'm a, I'm a super positive person. I'm yeah. like, you know, I'm, a, I'm the first person who will turn this, a negative scenario into something relatively positive. Yes. Uh, and it's, it's hard to sustain that, and especially when it's yourself, because it's, it actually becomes easier to do it for other people. You know, I remember days where, you know, I'd be, I'd be coaching people and I'd have eight or nine clients or whatever it might be. And, and, I would have no problem motivating them and I'd have no problem battling through that. But then at the end of the day, all I'd want to do is close my eyes and fall asleep right. because I used up so much energy to try and maintain something. My body just was saying, nah, not, not today. Not, you're good, right? And yeah. I used to, when I was lecturing full-time for the Poliquin group, you know, we were doing something like 200 days a year on the road. And, and I, I know you remember what it was like because you had seen me in that environment. Yeah. But yeah. we were doing, you know, like you do now, these eight-hour long days. You're fully interacting. You're fully charged up for people. And and I remember, like, what a lot of people don't realize about that time at the end for me because we were getting thrown on planes every other day. So I remember having a trip that was 21 days long. And day 21, I was okay. So day one, I was in Rhode Island, right? Uh, from Rhode Island, I went to Bath, UK, 
from Bath UK. I came up to Mayfair to UP Fitness. From UP Fitness, I went over to uh, Stockholm, Sweden. Stockholm, Sweden, I went back to the United States and, and did a lecture there. So I did all of that in 21 days. And I remember that trip literally in, like the moment I would stop speaking, I would go straight to my hotel room and lay down on my bed. And I would shut off all the lights, turn off all the TV. I was, I was a completely empty vessel and then get up and try to do it all over again the next day. And I remember getting on the airplane to fly home from that trip. And I remember this, the, the flight staff asked if I would like something. And when I turned and spoke, the sound of my own voice caused me to have an anxiety moment. And I remember sitting back in my chair and just thinking, I have completely exhausted myself and I'm not finding a way to rebuild or refuel. And I remember thinking that day, if there was one thing I can work on or I can figure out to give to the personal training side of the industry is tools and techniques that can be used to withstand what really becomes a one directional exchange. So like when you're on the floor and you're with your eight clients for the day is how do you go home at the end of that day with something left for you? And that truly is a very difficult part of the industry that we exist in. I know for me, it's a very big part of it. And then this is, this is, this is something I always talk about with respect to, you know, time management. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of getting, getting coaches to the level and delivering a level of service that they can charge a good amount of money for yep. the, the amount that they're going to actually improve their own quality of life. Right. Because ultimately this is what we're, you know, this is what I got into this for it, it, something that improved the quality of my life. And then I was like, look, I can help other people improve the quality of their life. And it was very, it was very singular. It was very just one directional. When I started, it was, I'm going to help a bunch of people lose weight. Yep. You know, that's all it was. That's all yep. it was. I'm going to get these people active. And to start with, I was just a trainer. I was a pure and simple. I was a trainer. I, I would take people in the gym for an hour. I would work them out, give them a little bit of dietary advice, like literally a handful of things. And some of them would succeed, some wouldn't. Uh, and that was how it was. It was, you know, the people who decided that if I get that one element right, which is training, my diet just fell into place. And, and I'm like that. You know, yep. if, if my train's on point, my diet's so much better. Yep. If my train's off point, you know, isn't isn't right, my diet's not right either. And, and they both kind of synergistically work together. And I was a trainer. I wasn't a coach. I was a trainer. I was somebody who would take someone in the gym, show them how to train properly, how to lift weights properly, how to do all of that stuff. And just that potluck of I'd get the occasional person that would go away, they get the diet on point, and I'd get great results. Right. And I take full... You know, this is my doing. I did this when, in essence, all I did was I was a part of the, the 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 things that needed to be brought together for that person to actually look at their life and go, right, I'm actually going to stay a bit more active. I'm actually probably not going to drink as much. I'm probably going to eat a little bit better. And I was the catalyst. That's all. Right. And, you know, and so, you know, 20 years on, there was several times where I was dealing with people where I was just the catalyst. Yep. And now... You know, I do business coaching with people and I do all sorts of stuff now. And a lot of the time, it's just one big pep talk. Right. It's me 
telling people a bunch of stuff that they could find anywhere else. And, and this is, again, me being brutally honest, yep. is that I'm giving away information that, for the most part, you could find. Because I'm not, I'm not creating new things. All I'm doing, I'm taking all the stuff that works, I'm collating it under one roof and going, there you go, that's it. The business stuff we teach is very basic. It's simple yep. business stuff. It's business acumen, you know, one-on-one, bog standard. There's no fancy tricks, tools, methods, funnels, whatever the hell is, you know, trendy right now. Yeah, absolutely. There is just basic business information. Yep. And for the most part, the hardest and difficult most difficult part for me is getting people to go away and do it. Right. The same as it was when I was coaching people to, to lift weights, same as it was when I was trying to advise people on diet, the hardest part of all of it is getting someone to go away and do it. Isn't, and sometimes that's this self-sabotage of, you know, people feel they don't deserve success and they don't feel they deserve to lose weight and they don't feel they deserve to get stronger. And, and it's this psychological barrier that really we're dealing with. How fascinating is that, that you, you see that over the span of two decades, that you can give people literally the keys to the castle. You can, you can show them the exact path to where the gold is. And inevitably, it doesn't matter if you're talking about business mastery, marketing progressions, or physical composition. The hardest thing is is to get somebody that has all the tools to actually use them. It's, and, you know, business, business. If you want to earn more money, you work more hours. There you go, simple one. Right, you right. Know? And, and it, but so many people, they, they haven't got those hours to spare yep. or they don't want to spare them. Right. So, so then what do we look at? Then we look at their lifestyle. We look at their, their, their again, hierarchy. We, I always talk about this hierarchy of life and, you know, where do you put everybody? Because is it more important for you to stay at the office or is it more important for you to get home to pick your kids up from school? Right. You know, where does all that sit right now? Because yeah. for, for many people out there, you know, don't have kids, they've got that time. So yeah. do they stay in the office? Do they make more money? Do they improve the quality of life going forward? What do they do? And And it's... A lot of the time it's that deciphering what when that person walks through the door is where does everything sit for that person? Because right. in reality, they're not going to go home and prep food for two hours. No. In reality, they're not going to go to the gym six times a week. No. In reality, you know, they can't be flexible with gym times. In reality, they need to be in the gym at five o'clock in the morning or they're not going to turn up. Yep. You know, and, and putting all of that into a, a into like a package for somebody and going, right. This is what you need to do right now. And that goes back on that depends answer, right? Yep. So the people go, and, and I say this in seminars, I'll get a room full of 100 people, and I can turn around to every single one of them and go, right, I can get every single person in this room lean. Every single one of you is going to eat four meals a day, chicken and broccoli. That's all you're going to eat. <laughs> yeah. Chicken and broccoli, all you're going to eat. Every single one of you is going to do weight training five days a week. And there is no routine you're just going to wait for him for an hour. Are you going to lift weights in any way, shape, or form you want to do for an hour? It doesn't matter what it is. And you're all going to do 30 minutes of cardio a day. Yep. Right? Every single person in that room is going to get leaner. Yep. And some of them are going to get absolutely, probably shredded. Exactly. Uh, but the fact is, is that 99% of them won't follow that. Nope. And somewhere along the way, not only will they not follow, they will convince themselves that you're incorrect. Yeah. And they'll yeah. and they'll go back to like you said a few minutes back, they will seek out the one in ten trainer 
that says the thing that resonates mostly with them emotionally, not logically. Yeah, you look at you know uh, the the if it fits your macros culture that that, that kind right. of stems yeah. and, and social media sent it crazy. And crazy. what happened is it removed context from it. It removed what it was actually about. Yeah. And you know you've got these accounts where you've got people who are flexible dieters, if it fits your macros, blah blah blah. And you look at their accounts, and all it is is pictures of junk food yeah. that's being pimped out to the point that it's not just junk food anymore. It's junk food with as many different types of chocolate variety or whatever you want <laughs> all over it. And yeah. these are spectacular things. They are sculptures. You know, I look at them, I'm like, how on earth did you sculpt that from M&Ms and Pop-Tarts and whatever it might be? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, you know, if you want to sell something on Instagram, the best way of doing it is put it in the shape of food. Yes. Because people love looking at pictures of food. Yep. You know, and, and people that there's a there's a guy in the UK now who everybody references is the best, the most successful personal trainer in the UK. Ironically, the guy doesn't personal train people. Really? Doesn't personal train people. Basically, what you know, he does a lot of nutritional stuff, does some great stuff. Great stuff, he gets absolutely slammed by the industry because everybody looks at him and go, Oh, you know, he's doing this all wrong, blah, blah, blah. I have the utmost respect for him because at the end of the day, he's got people off their asses moving around and eating better. Yep. And he's in this most bizarre way. But everybody goes, he's the best personal trainer, doesn't personal train anybody and never has. He's somebody who's, you know, he's almost like a little mini chef and, and yeah. you know, he, he does little food food blogs and blah, blah, blah. And he's got people off their ass and he, you know, promotes a bit of hit training and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Keep and, it simple. And, yeah, of course. And, and that's what he's doing. He's presented something very, very simple to people. He's very personable. He's the sort of person that people can relate to. He's not some, you know, mutated freak. He's not enormous. <laughs> Absolutely, not, yeah. Everything that you look about him, you know, look, he, he looks like the, the kind of guy next door. And, and he's in shape and he looks after himself. He's quirky. He's got some character. He's got this, that, that. And people are like, well, why is he so successful? For all those reasons. For That's why. Yep, he's relatable. He's somebody that people can feel comfortable thinking about and not feel, you know, let's face it. There's some people that physically they're incredibly impressive, but there's a lot of people that when they click on that Instagram, the physical impressiveness of that person is the first deterrent to them wanting to pay attention yeah. because they, it, it's not relatable. Yeah, it's like walking into a gym. You know, yep. I would say about it. You know, I, I get these young lads and they're, you know, they're in shape and they're, they're strutting around their gyms in their vests and things like this. And, and I'm like, but, you know, that's the reason you've got no clients. You do realize that. Exactly. Because people are going to come over to me because I'm in shape. No, no, no. People aren't going to come over to you because you're in shape. Yep. You know, there's nothing wrong with being in shape. Don't get me wrong. But there's being in shape and, you know, people respecting that and looking at it and going, wow, that guy looks in, in great shape. Uh, or shoving it down their necks and going... Yes. Wow, he's tan to the max. He's even probably got oil on right now. Yep. And, and yep. no one can relate to it. And you are the pinnacle of the reason these people probably struggle to step foot in the gym before. I talk about this with private facilities, you know, where they have this huge commercial gym opens up next door to them and there's 3,000 members rolling in. And this private facility starts flapping and going, they're going to take all our members. I'm like, hold on, you know. There's 3,000 people going to walk within your vicinity that are yeah. actually wanting what you're offering, and you're worried they're going to produce a better level of service than you are. Exactly. Genuinely. And it's, you know, and, and, and what the gym provides, the commercial gym, is a stepping stone because these people who've been in this pre contemplation sat at home thinking, I probably need to get into a gym. And some of them are thinking, 
I need a personal trainer, but I want to get in shape before I go and see a personal trainer. It's like, you know. Brushing your teeth before you go to the dentist. Absolutely. Cleaning the house before the cleaner comes. <laughs> yes. It's like, I don't want this cleaner to see my house dirty. Yep. So I'm going to clean my house, and then I'm going to pay a cleaner to come and clean it again. <laughs> and, 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 and it is it's that bizarre sort of, uh, sort of outlook that people have. And, and it's you've got to remember that a lot of people are just, they're threatened by the gym. They're threatened by people who are in shape. They just don't want to be around that. Yep. And, and and this is, it's very hard to get across sometimes, you know, especially for people who are, you know, my background, it's very hard for me to come across as, you know, I can't post up a training bin and people go, I can relate to that because right. most people can't. No. You know? It is very true. And I think you've hit on a lot of really key points in this conversation. But the one thing that – or a couple things I wanted you to close out on because I think it's really important. I know it's it's been fascinating to me to watch. But I remember when your N1 Nutrition program came out and you sent me a copy. But since that time, you've grown along with the retirement from the on-the-floor PT stuff and to the Advanced Coaching Academy in the ACA and different lecture series. You've grown away from just personal training to the business side, to the motivational side, to the lecture series side. And just for those that may not be familiar with the ACA or even some of the other programming stuff that you offer or educational stuff that you offer, what exactly is the ACA to you and what would be the easiest way to describe it to people that maybe aren't familiar with it? Well, the the Advanced Coaching Academy, the ACA, was was brought about because, again, going back on what we were talking about before, is that I want to help coaches improve the quality of their life because I don't deal with clients directly anymore. You know, the whole purpose behind it was I wanted to give people a platform that they could learn and not make the stupid mistakes that I made throughout from a business perspective. Also, to get the kind of nutritional education that, again, I wished I had back in the day. Right. You know, some of my nutritional views have changed dramatically. I used to roll around with a lot of weird beliefs about nutrition and, you know, and I'll hold my hand up to that. And, and I had some bizarre ideas. But but ultimately, again, it, it came back to the fact that I wasn't trying to create misinformation. What I was doing is I was learning. And, and along that curve of learning, I was trying to educate people at the same time. And right. again, you know, my nutritional book was probably the per- first time I was probably happy with actually what I said about nutrition. And even then, I would tear that apart now and, and, and put it into all kinds of – but what, what we have is we have the nutritional platform and then we have a coaching platform for the same reason. So the three skills that I think coaches need, which are they need to understand about coaching, not training people, coaching. Yep. You know, which is something we, we bounce back to all the time, whether we're talking about training modalities or not. We're talking about coaching. So what how is this relevant? How is it applied to people? And what are you ultimately going to do with it? I always remember, you know, when I did my degree, I was part of the information we learned. It was it was irrelevant. It was just information. And right. it had no purpose. There was, you know, I remember at school learning about algebra and, and I'm like, how many people actually use algebra in their day to day life? Yep. It was always something that puzzled me, but we spent so long learning something, we didn't actually apply to anything. And what we, what I've tried to do with the academy is obviously take applied information, stuff you can go away and actually do something with that's either going to change your business, is going to change the way you coach people, or it's going to way that you you give nutritional advice to people. Right. And, you know, it's there for me to continue to do what I've always done, which is coach people. Yep. And continue to deal with more people inadvertently. 
I want to know that the coaches that are coming out of the academy at the other end are good coaches. They are people who've got good businesses and are still in the industry that they love doing what they're doing, actually making some money, improving the quality of life for their, themselves, their family, and the people they serve ultimately. You know, Because we're in a service industry. We yep. serve people. Yep. And, and when we forget about that and we think it's something else, you know, we've lost the plot. We completely, serve. Completely. And, and, you know, I want coaches to deliver better levels of service, but also be rewarded for it. And this is what the academy is about. The academy was there for that sole purpose. And, and you know, thankfully, and I appreciate all the guys that have been through the academy and are currently doing it because they're the people out there making the difference. And they're doing the stuff that I don't do anymore. Right. Uh, and, and they're really, they're creating this legacy for themselves. And if somewhere along the line I can take a little bit of credit for it, I'll be more than happy. Well, I think it's fantastic because a lot of the people I follow on social media from the UK in around the London area and the whole country, a lot of them are attending the masterminds. A lot of them are making reference to the ACA, making reference to yourself, guys like Phil Graham and, as well. Um you know, and when I look at the ACA in particular, and I look at sort of the board of contributors and the people that you have that are involved with it, it's it's more than just a seminar when you look at it. You can tell that it is a collective of ideas that as we go back to our, one of our original points, it has a very clear message that you're trying to change the culture or at the very least create a culture of success for these people. And I think that's really important for those that are listening, that are looking for an education platform for personal training and coaching in general is to reach out to you, to reach out to the, to the people associated with what you're doing, because everybody I've seen without, and you know, this is completely candid. I've, I haven't attended Phil's lecture. I haven't, seen it at all. I'm only making this evaluation based off of those that I've seen attend. And they are the people that I consistently see on social media producing the best content. And I'm not talking like selfies with abs and, and that type of content. I'm talking coaching points, thoughts, logical explanation of things, coming onto their social media every day and they're like, three points to think about today and all three I can sit as a veteran coach and be like, hey, that's that's clever. That's really good information. And they're all people that I've seen consistently attending your seminars in the UK. All of them. And it's and it's the same people that attend, you know, all of the other people that you you've kind of drawn reference to. You know, there's so many people giving out good quality coaching material now. And it's so nice to see the same people and the same faces who are, they're not stuck in this this singular direction. And I always cringe at the thought of somebody turning around to, you know, a client or whoever it might be. And their, right. their response is, Phil said so. Right, um, right, 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 right. That's, that's messed up because that is not, you know, that isn't at any stage being something that I wanted to you know, profess to or get people to do. It has to be something where they're willing to make their own call yep. with with a, with a good cumulative amount of information that they've acquired from me, acquired from Phil, acquired from Mark, acquired yep. from yourself, acquired from so many different sources. And, you know, I just filled out a form yesterday, which was somebody was asking, what, who are your greatest influences? And I couldn't list a single person. It's funny how that is, right? Like uh, I was speaking at Summer Strong, uh, Summer Strong 9, and 
during my my presentation, you know, it was sort of off the cuff, but it's something I've said before. It's like, listen, on my best day, I'm a medium of brilliant people's information. On my worst day, I'm a guy that tells stories. And I've always really felt that that's the way that the best coaches are. There are people that take a lot of influence sort through the noise of a lot of it and find a way to be a medium of that information to, to someone else. And if you do it really well, you get a strong message from A to B. And if you don't, you still typically tell a pretty good story, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it you know, it's like intellectual property. It's, yep. you know, I don't have a lot of hold over my intellectual property because most of it I learn from other people. Yeah. very. I, 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 there's very little of it that I could say, yeah, that's mine. I definitely said that. Right. You know, that's me that, you know, I'm sure there's a few quotes out there and a few things that I've said that, you know, other people, but perhaps, perhaps I heard it from somebody first. I don't know. I always wonder that myself. And it's to the point now where I pretty much run every like uh, short micro blog through a plagiarism test before I post it because I don't even know. Like, I'm like, I'm like uh, did I actually say that? Yeah. It, <laughs> and I remember a couple of times I thought I, uh, this is crazy. I thought I had a crazy quote. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And I ran it through and it was something I wrote like six years ago that it actually <laughs> bounced back to me as myself. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't even remember what I wrote myself. So, <laughs> so how, you know, how can I claim That's ownership, it. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know my own words, let oh, alone. I, I, I've, I've read articles of mine. I didn't even realize I'd written them. Yes. You know, and I look back at old material now and I read through it and go, wow, did I actually read that? You know, I was flicking through my, yep. my book through there and I'm like, I can't ever recall actually writing that and, and <laughs> patting myself on the back to some degree going, that's very well written. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, that was good stuff. I must have been out of myself that day. <laughs> but before I let you go, it's, it's been awesome having you on today. Is there anything that you want to pass on? Just some final closing thoughts to those that are listening? You know, how to get a hold of you, you know, what's coming up the next couple months, all that good stuff. Uh, advancedcoachingacademy.com. Yep. is our website. Uh, I do have my personal website, but to be honest, I don't really uh, put a lot of information through that anymore. Your best bet is on my social channel channels. So uh, just Phil Learney is, is my handle on Facebook. And the joys of having a name that many people don't have. Yes. Uh, so it's just Phil Learney. You'll find me on Instagram under that handle. You'll find me on Twitter and on, on the Facebook. Uh, put a lot of content out there, uh, share a lot of stuff. So Instagram seems to be a little bit more of a platform now for me. Uh, just with the way that you know algorithms and stuff change. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, advancedcoachingacademy.com. Check it out. We do a ten day trial, uh, so you, you know you now get full access to the content over those ten days. So you can see what what it's all about. You know what kind of content we've got in there. But it's 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 a fairly uh, it's a mountain of information. It is. And we have some contributors in there. So so feel free to jump across, check out the demo, see what you think. If you've got any questions, obviously just fire me an email. It's just Phil at advancedcoachingacademy.com. Always willing to speak to people if people want to talk to me about what they're going to get out of it or whatever it might be. Quite happy to pick up the phone and, and give people a call as well. So, Man, that's fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on a call today. I hope that people got or will get as much information out of this conversation as I certainly have. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Doug. All right. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Woodsky on his Instagram or at DerekWoodsky.com. 